grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So my usual main vocation is I'm a teacher. I teach at Concordia University, Irvine, and this past week has been an interesting week because we've been having final exams. Have you ever spent some time observing students taking final exams, observing the behavior, the posture, the, uh, the look in their eyes? There's those who look incredibly in the zone, like their entire world is this exam, that's all they can think about. They're preparing, they're flipping through their flashcards, they're looking through their notes, they're reading, completely focused. It's also the ones who have a haunted look in their eyes, staring to the middle distance, maybe wearing half pajamas, half clothes. Uh, they're, they're lost souls. There are other ones, you know, who look incredibly nervous, like, like you know, they're about to have severe uh, distress in their bowels. Uh, uh, and... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I watched students behave this way. Friday afternoon and Saturday, I saw a very different set of behaviors. Because yesterday was commencement, graduation. Now I see students laughing. Before that, I only heard gallows humor, but this is real laughter. Joy, they look so relaxed, like there's not a care in the world. Surrounded by family and friends, just savoring a well-earned victory. Some of these were the same students, right? Some of these were the same people who were in total fear and total focus and grim determination and now total relaxation and total joy. And so these are the two images I want to put before you. The, the students taking final exams, the students at graduation. And these two images will help us get a better idea of what's going on in Revelation chapter 7. Yeah, that's right. Pastor's preaching on Revelation today. Hold on tight. All right. All right, so Revelation 7 gives us two images side by side. Before I read it, though, I want to give a little bit of context. This is part of the scary part of Revelation, which is like most of it. Uh, no, the part right before this is the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Right, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, they come to the earth and they take away peace. They bring war and conflict and hatred. They bring disease and plague. They bring economic disaster. And this sounds way too much like the 21st century, hasn't it? <laughs> and so the four horsemen of the apocalypse come and do all these things. And chapter 7 is kind of a, a step back. Saying, okay, this is what's going on in the world. This is a real thing from the time when Christ came the first time to when Christ comes again, the four horsemen have been unleashed. But how is it for God's people? And we see that God's people, well, I'll read the text here. The first image is this one. It says, after this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to do harm on earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 
12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. It's a lot of 12,000s. And so this is a mysterious number, 144,000. But it makes a lot more sense if you look where else in the Old Testament do we see something like this. Actually, that's my general rule for Revelation. Whenever you hear anything weird, say, is there something that sounds like that in the Old Testament? So what sounds like this? Counting all of God's people by their tribes. The book of Numbers. Okay, the book of Numbers, it sounds like a lot of math. It's actually only a little bit of math. Um, the book of Numbers takes place after Israel has left Egypt, right? They've been freed from slavery in Egypt. They've traveled all the way across the Red Sea, led by Moses, to Mount Sinai. On Mount Sinai, they received the commandments from God, and they built the tabernacle and all that. And now Numbers comes, and it's time to leave Mount Sinai. Before they leave, they count everyone. They count them by tribe and by family and by clan to figure out exactly how many people they have. Why? Why do you need to know how many people you have? I mean, in general, why would an ancient ruler ever need to know exactly how many people he had? Well, there's two big reasons. One would be for taxation. You know, pull a Caesar Augustus. You got to know how much you can tax people, so you need to know how many people there are to tax. But this one's different. The other reason to uh, count people is to figure out how much manpower do you have. And particularly, how many soldiers can you muster for war? And actually, this sentence is very clearly about manpower for war because they only count men of military age. Why do you count men of military age in the book of Numbers? Israel's going to war. God's about to lead his people into battle to defeat the Canaanites and claim the promised land. And so he's preparing them and organizing them into military units, 12 battalions for the 12 tribes. That's what's going on here in Revelation chapter 7. God is organizing his Christians here on earth into an army. And this is what we call the church militant. When I say church militant, I don't mean like the Crusades or something. The church militant means that here on earth, God's people struggle. They fight in a conflict that continues for our entire lives. Now, this is not a war against human beings. As Paul says, our war is not with flesh and blood. It's with the spiritual powers of darkness. We are soldiers in God's army, and what do we fight? Well, when we see hatred, we confront it with love. When we see suffering, we confront it with comfort. When we see uh, death and pain, we confront it with healing. When we see uh, injustice, we confront it with what is right. When we see sin, we confront it with God's law. And when we see broken sinners, we encounter them with God's gospel. This is the mission of God's army, that he has selected us as a royal honor guard, selected from the 12 tribes to fight this war. And so while everything rages around us with the four horsemen of the apocalypse, God is organizing his army. And there's three huge pieces of comfort in this text. The first one is that we see the angels are holding back the winds. 
the, the, the angel commands the four horsemen not to destroy until God's work is done. So basically, as bad as things might get in our world, as much war and conflict and famine and disease we might see out there, God is holding back the worst of it. He's holding it back for the sake of his people, because of his love for us. He's not going to let it go too far. The second huge piece of comfort here is the seal. that an angel goes through and marks all 144,000 soldiers upon their forehead. What is this seal? Well, the Old Testament helps us again here. Ezekiel has a vision where a heavenly being comes down and marks the forehead of all the faithful in Jerusalem. And then he commands the executioners, do not harm anyone who has the seal on their forehead. What is your seal? Well, you received it in your baptism. Received the sign of the cross both upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. The Holy Spirit has marked you. You belong to Jesus. And since you belong to Jesus, he fights for you. In this war, it's not really up to us. It's up to our commander and champion, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so with him on our side, we really have nothing to fear. No matter what our enemies may do, we can stand behind our champion who fights for us. That he has promised that he has already broken our enemies. Sin, Christ has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. Uh, death, Christ has devoured death. The devil, Christ has smashed his head in. There's nothing left of him to fight us other than an angry ghost. Basically, we have nothing to fear because we are marked with the seal of our champion. His cross is upon our forehead. Let's leave the first image now because the last piece of comfort requires the second image. If the first image makes you think of these students taking final exams, the grim-faced and hard-working, the second image makes me think much more of the students at graduation. Here it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes? And from where do they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. If there's 144,000 active soldiers of our God, a symbolic number, those currently here on earth fighting, there's a countless multitude of those who have already fought in the war and now are in the victory parade. Is this what this is? This is a victory parade. They're waving palm branches, the traditional uh, Jewish sign of victory. 
and they're wearing white robes, very powerful image, robes that have been washed in blood and made white because the blood of our God is the most powerful detergent the world will ever know. And these are singing. They're singing for joy, waving their branches on parade. This is the victory march. And so notice this is happening simultaneously, that we have the church militant, you guys, the people currently walking around on earth, and we have the church triumphant, those who have already received the victory, who already share in the resurrection. And notice that these are happening simultaneously. And so the reason why I bring this up is because perhaps you feel the weariness of being a soldier. Perhaps you have seen those you love fall in battle and you mourn for them. Perhaps you bear the scars of hard-fought battles against evil. Perhaps you feel like you do not have the strength to keep going on, that you do not know how to lift your weapon one more time and face the enemy. And as you feel this great deep weariness of the soul, remember, the victory has already been won. Christ has already triumphed over the grave. The devil already stands judged that you are already part of the triumphant church. And that even though you may suffer till your dying day, you will join in the victory parade. That's the thing. What's the worst that they can do to us? Take our lives. Take our lives, that just gets us straight to the victory parade. That's a shortcut. That there is nothing that can be done to us that takes away what we have, which is our life in Christ. We have His life in us, and so everything, no matter how shameful and painful and wearisome, everything is joy and victory. This reminds me of a great verse from a great hymn, uh, the hymn for all the saints. There's a verse that says, uh, <clears throat> and, when, uh, and when the warfare is fierce and the battle long, steals on the ear the distant triumph song, and hearts are brave again and arms are strong. Alleluia, alleluia. That when the battle is too much for you, listen. Listen for the victory song. Listen for that song that the saints above us are singing even now, the song that you will join in. Listen for the victory song. And that is the thing. We are a people of the resurrection. We are immortal people living the new life even now. And so we can have that joy, the joy of the resurrection, the joy that our God will call us by name. Our good shepherd will say to you by name, come, Rise, join me in the everlasting victory parade. Receive the white robe I have laundered for you. You are mine. And what more can we do but sing? Amen.